listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. So we are in this Advent season. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent. And so here's what we've looked at already. Last week, we looked at joy. And these four Advent themes are what the church has celebrated for decades and for centuries. And so if you're like, why do we pick these four words? Well, that's why. And so last week, we looked at the idea that Christ has come so that we could experience joy, not just happiness in what happens but enjoy in all things. And the week before that, we looked at peace. No matter what's happening in our lives, and when peace seems impossible, we know that we can find peace, not in the situation, but in God's presence. In the very first week, Caleb preached for us, and we looked at this word, hope. Hope. And here's the question that Caleb answered. Here's the question that I have as I look around at the culture, but... Why, is, why are so many souls so downcast? When I look around, both at inwardly and outwardly at our church or in the culture, that's what we see so much of. And maybe this morning you came in, you're like, man, my soul is downcast. Like I'm, I feel like I'm at the bottom of this, of this cave and there's no one else here and it's dark and I can't find a way out and there's no light. Maybe you're here this morning, but there are so many in our culture that are right there Here's what I think we can see from Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah 2.13 says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We are looking, we as a culture, oftentimes we as a church, even those who call ourselves Christians, we are looking for hope somewhere else other than Jesus Christ. And all those things have come up wanting. All those things have come up empty. Because Jeremiah here says, you can go to the creator of the universe. So we as a church, we've been talking about this Give Hope campaign. This is not just a, a financial ploy. This is not something additional that we just want you to give to. But we want to, in this next year, focus. And Chris just prayed. We want, to come along, we want Keith Keller to come alongside of us. And we want to focus on caring for each other's souls. That's why we need help funding this. Because soul care is so vital. Here's what that's going to look like next year. Lord willing, this is our goal. Is that we as the family of God, we as a Christian community, this faith family of South Point, that we would be more and more equipped to have spiritual conversations with each other so that we be curious with each other to see what the Spirit is up to in our lives. That's our goal. That's our goal. And we as a church, I'm, I'm begging with you, I'm pleading with you, that we would come alongside and help meet this need, both for each other as a body and for those souls who are not yet part of this family or part of another faith family. There's a great need in front of us, and there's a great opportunity. I told you, I've been telling you the past couple of weeks, but me and my family, we're giving an extra month's giving to South Point, specifically to Give Hope. That's because we see the value in that. Would I rather buy something nicer for my, yeah, sure. And my kids would much rather me buy something nicer for them. 
Now, I, I, especially once they get on Christmas morning, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I would have, Dad. Thanks so much. But I'd rather buy something nicer for my wife. I'd rather put that money in savings or put it towards fixing up something on the house. But can I tell you, as even the past couple of weeks, it's almost like every single day I get a phone call or a conversation with somebody where I'm like, man, we need the family of God to be equipped for the family of God, for us here, for the sake of impacting those around us and impacting the nations. That's our goal. So I would beg with you that you would help us with that. We need you to match the need of the community. When we looked at hope, hope is not about a better life. That, that's, the, that's what's difficult when we look at, okay, what are we putting our hope in and what are we hoping to accomplish from those things that we're putting our hope in? And the culture would say in many churches, places who call themselves churches, they would say, hope is in finding a better life. But can I tell you this morning that hope is not going to be found in a better life but hope is found in a better love. Hope is found in a better love. Romans chapter eight, it says this, this will be up on the screen, but Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he says this all throughout chapter eight, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what, they, for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, real quick, what he's saying is we're hoping for something else. Because we can't just say, let me find something tangible that I can see physically with my eyes and put my hope in it. He says, those things are always going to fail us. But we're looking forward to this hope in Jesus Christ and him alone. This hope that we can't see that's internal. He continues in verse number 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's where our hope is rooted. He continues a few verses later in verse 36. Sorry, verse 38. He says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our hope this morning. And so when we talk about, man, we want to be a church that gives hope, we want next year to be a time when we can give hope, that's our goal, is that in the midst of whatever happens, good or bad, fantastic or terrible, that we would have hope. He mentions here, he talks about the love of God in Christ. Let's look at that love for a minute. So that's what we're focusing on this morning is love. And so we've looked at hope, joy, and peace, and we're looking at love. Christmas season, the Advent season, the arrival of Jesus Christ as a baby is the declaration as powerfully as any other place in Scripture that God is love. It's a declaration of love. Here, here's, the, here's the difficulty. I'll be in 1 John chapter 4 if you want to go there with me. 1 John chapter 4. Be a familiar passage to us. The, the difficulty with this conversation even on love is as, as I begin talking about love, we know that the culture has tried to define love for probably all time. But even if we look at the past few decades, and this is becoming increasingly true even in the past few years, what the culture is saying, we went from this self-love, hey, take, post a picture of yourself everywhere you can on social media, to this, hey, love is love, and if, if you just say that, then it must be true. And I've had those conversations with people, and I say, well, what if I say I want to love something that maybe I should not be loving? Well, that's a little bit different. Oh, so... Love isn't love. And it breaks down real quick, real quick. But now we've gone to, well, whatever you say is the definition of love for you, now you can use that. 
So there's no objective standard for love. There's no objective truth. There's no way of saying, yes, this is good love. This is bad love. You should love or you should not love. We've taken the word of God and we're like, hey, that's a really good idea. But I think we're going to figure this out on our own. Y'all see that in our culture? Y'all feel that? We sense that? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look back and see what does God's word say about love? In 1 John chapter 4, we're going to look at, at first at verses 7 and 8, and we're going to see that God is love. So we're going to go to the biblical definition of love. So 1 John chapter 4 says this. Now notice this is not based on feelings or emotions or experiences or subjectivity. All of those things factor in when we talk about love. They do. Your love for your wife, your love for your husband is different than my love for them. That's subjective and that's okay. I'm not going to love your spouse or your kids as much as you do. But we have to first understand what is love, essentially, objectively. So 1 John 4, verse 7, he says, Beloved, now notice if you want to, especially if you're a kid, you can count the number of times we see love here in this passage, okay? That first word, beloved, that counts, okay? It's there in the Greek. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So 744 times throughout the scriptures, we see this word loved used. In the New Testament, we see this word agape. Everybody say agape. agape. That was decent from this side. What about this side? Everybody say agape. Yeah. All right, that's, that's better. Okay, so we have this word agape, and it means love, and that's actually the word that he uses here. Even in these first two verses, he uses this word agape six times. In these six verses we're going to look at this morning, he uses the word agape 13 times. He uses it over and over, so we need to understand what it means. So here's what agape means. You're like, well, why can't we just say love? Because it's so subjective. And so when we look at the word agape, we have to understand it's a really full, encompassing word, but here's what it means. It's a godly love. It's to have affection for it affects your life. It's a caring interest in someone or something. It means cherishing or taking pleasure in someone. It's a decisive and determined love. It's a choosing love. It's a love that keeps to its object. It's a love that's committed to giving and acting on another's behalf. It's based on the will not the feelings. It's based on the will, not the feelings. It's based on action, not emotion. It says here that God is agape, God is love in and of himself. And we know this is how we were created to be. So if we go back and look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see that we are meant to be with God. Now this agape, us, humanity, being with God, this is the ultimate reality. This is us being with God. So when we think about ultimate reality, this is the way that everything was created to be. We are created to be with God, being part of him, being part of his love, receiving that purely and perfectly. His love was the source of our life. Just think about that for a minute. Just, just put, your, put, your, put yourself back in that place where in the garden, Adam and Eve are perfectly able to engage with the love of God. Imagine what life was like. All things were good with all people. 
Doesn't that just feel good? Can you imagine that? Perfectly experiencing this agape, this choosing, this determined, perfect, godly love from him and for each other. So we have to ask ourselves, why is that so difficult for us to imagine? Anybody else have difficult? I, I sat for a while this week several, at several different points and just tried to sit and think about that and soak in that. And often I thought, man, this, this just seems crazy. This seems nearly impossible. So why does that seem so difficult for us? And what's happening in my mind, even as I'm sitting here, I'm like, what happened? <laughs> well, here's what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 begins verse number 1. The serpent comes along. And he challenges God's rule over an Adam and Eve. He challenged, he said, did God really say? Here's what the serpent, Satan, our enemy, is saying when he says, did God really say? He's saying, does God really love? Does God really love you? Because he says, in, the very, in verse number five, he says, you can be like God if you just take this fruit what do we just see in 1 John chapter 4? He says, we can know God. We can be with God. God is love. It's perfect. Do we really trust God? Is God really trustworthy? Is he really loving? We begin questioning God. And then verse number 6. So this doesn't happen like a long time after Genesis 1 and 2. It happens within six verses of Genesis chapter 3. In verse number 6, Adam and Eve, they take the fruit and they eat it. They believe the lie of the serpent. They rebel against the good rule of God. They disobey so now instead of perfect love, we have conflict, destruction, devastation, judgment. We have death. Instead of life and love, now we, because of Adam and Eve, are doomed for all time, separated from his love, and we experience death. We're no longer right with God. We're no longer right with God. Romans chapter 5, it says this. I think this will be on the screen. But Romans 5, verse number 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So lest we stand here and say, doggone it, Adam and Eve, what is wrong with you? I never would have done that. No, we do that all the time. And it's there in our nature, but it's there in our actions as well. We sin because we are born sinners. Adam and Eve said this, course for all of humanity. Just consider their kids. So we can look back and say, oh man, maybe, maybe things got better. No, no. Immediately things took a turn real quickly. Consider their kids. They had two boys, Cain and Abel. Now Abel is the one who was uh, a farmer. Uh, sorry, not a farmer. He was a shepherd. He's out there raising animals and he's offering good sacrifices to God. Cain is the one He's, a, uh, he's like a, an angsty, uh, hippie, vegetarian. And he gets really mad at Abel for being the one that God loved. And so Cain goes and kills Abel. Boom, right after. That's in Genesis chapter 4. It happens real quick. We turn from the love of God and we find ourselves in the midst, in the throes of hatred and murder. And then God comes to Cain and says, Cain, where's your brother? What does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. He kills his brother and then lies right in the face of God. We see, we see this is because through death, all have sinned. Through one man, death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Can I tell you something, friends? When we consider this, we can look at this and be like, golly, man, life stinks. I hate this. 
And I hope you do. I, I think often we, we become blinded to where we are in life, and we never actually consider what is life supposed to be like? Is this the way things are supposed to be here in 2021 when things are so easy? When we have everything, all information, almost all kinds of food, all communication right here at our fingertips, is this still how, how things are supposed to be? Or I know things feel broken. And can I tell you, as we look right here at these first few verses and few, few chapters of the Old Testament, this is not God's intended design, even for the first family. Things were off the rails really quick. But then we get to verse number nine. If you go back to 1 John 4 with me, look at verse number nine. He says this. So while we were separated from God, verse nine, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he was the atonement. Now notice he says, you, he created us with this opportunity to love him perfectly. We have not loved God. We turned our backs on God. We were no longer right with the creator of the universe. But here's what we've seen so far in this Advent season as we've looked at hope and peace and joy, our greatest need is the presence of God. Our greatest need is the presence of God. That's how we were created. And here we see God said, not am I just love being the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but now I'm going to extend that love and I'm going to come down and dwell with you my presence is now going to go to you so that you can be in my presence forever. You see, Christmas is a love story. Not because we love little babies in the manger, but it's because Jesus was the better Adam. Jesus perfectly obeyed. And in the midst of strife, he brings peace. In the midst of a broken world, he brings hope. In the midst of anger and destruction, he brings love. Jesus Christ is a better Cain. He, he comes and he doesn't bring slaughter to us in judgment. No, he comes, he says, I'm going to care for my brothers and sisters to the point of death at the hands of my brothers and sisters. That is the king that we worship. He's the better Adam. He perfectly obeyed. He made all things right. All creation is being made new. He's the better king. He loved us. He adopts us in to his family. The conception of Christ and even the birth of Christ, can uh, they almost went unnoticed. And even now in this season, they can go unnoticed. I know in my home, sometimes they go unnoticed even until we get through watching a Christmas movie at night and we're about to put the kids to bed and we're like, oh, we got to do Advent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, forgot, I almost forgot this Christmas Advent season is about Jesus. All right, let's spend five minutes doing that. And then we'll go brush our teeth and hop in bed. Anybody there? Any, or maybe y'all are way more spiritual than we are. But it can almost go unnoticed. But nothing is as powerful as the love that's demonstrated here that Jesus Christ came and he was made manifest to us, John says right here in chapter 4. He was made manifest. That means he lived the life perfectly that we were designed to live. He died alone on a cruel cross. 
And then he rose victorious over death, bringing victory and peace to us, his family, his brothers and sisters. Now we are made right with the Trinity. Now we can be made one with the Father. That's the beauty of his love, not just the fact that God is love, but he acts on his character, and he displays that love to us. Hear this, friends. The Father longs for you to receive his whole heart for you. This is the reason that we celebrate Jesus coming. This is the reason we talk about God's love. It's because the Father longs for you to receive his whole heart for you and 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 for you. That's the desire of our Father. Jesus Christ was made manifest for us. He came down in the midst of death and offers us life. What love that is. But then we get to verse number 11. Beloved, again, that's the, the word agape there. Y'all who are beloved, y'all who are in that love. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. In other words, his love is completed in us. Maybe even a better way of translating that, if you look at that word perfected throughout the New Testament, you can see that it means also fulfilled. In other words, God initiates this love. He empowers us with this love, and then we love each other, just com completing this cycle, all pointing back to the love of God because he is love. Look at verse number 17 with me. By this is love perfected with us, so that, here's why we love each other, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. And John's used that phrase four or five times so far in the book of 1 John. What that means is Jesus Christ was righteous, and we have been made right with him. Therefore, we live righteous lives. So as we're here looking forward to the day when Jesus is going to return to judge, we're here waiting, longing for his presence, but we're here waiting, loving each other as his family because he has first loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him is not going to perish, but have everlasting life. Can, can I ask you this morning, when we think about this love of God, it, as we think about our standing before God, we have both an accuser and we have an advocate before the Father. We have an accuser who is the enemy from day one has said, did God really say? Does God really love? Man, you, you're messed up. God can't redeem you. Look at what's running through your mind. Look at what's on the history on your phone. Look at the way you talk to that person. Look at the way you treated your kids. Look at the way that you're spending your time. Look at the way that you're spending your money. 
accusing you. But then consider the conversation that Jesus Christ is having about you before the Father this morning. Consider that conversation. He is not our accuser, but our advocate. Just sit in that for a second. What is Jesus Christ saying about you to the Father? What's his tone about you to the Father? If you are in Christ, he is saying, that one's mine. My love has extended to her. My blood covers him. That one is my child. He is my brother. She's my sister. The work is finished for them. That one. Yeah, 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 him. He's in me. Yeah, she. She's forgiven. That's her. What is Jesus saying about you as our advocate? Here's the beautiful thing, friends. Not only is he declaring his own righteousness over you, but his tone is gracious. It is sweet. It is merciful. It is loving. Genesis 4 says that the ground cries out with the blood of Abel, and it cries out for justice. It says something is not right in this world. And we see it all around us, and we hear even that cry. But can I tell you that the blood of Jesus cries out, mercy. And have you heard that word, mercy, spoken over you? Because you can. When we look at the manger, we hear a little baby, and that baby cries out, love. Have you experienced the love of Jesus Christ this morning? As we look at this little child in the manger, as we look at the first coming of Christ, it's the most powerful demonstration of God's love in the midst of the most tragic rebellion against the creator of the universe. And yet Jesus Christ still says, I love you. You are mine. You are in me. The glory of Advent is this. The glory of Advent is that Jesus became a baby to rescue us from our bondage to selfishness, to sin, to pride, to pornography, to anger, to malice, toward materialism, to selfishness, toward self-righteousness, to addiction. The glory of Advent is that Jesus Christ became a baby to rescue us from that bondage to death. Amen? Charles Wesley wrote these words in 1747. This is the first verse of this song, Love Divine. I would encourage you and your family, look up these words. They're fantastic. It's got four verses. The last verse talks about Jesus Christ coming again in glory. Love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling. All thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion. Pure 
unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter every trembling heart. There are three types of folks here this morning. One is somebody who's faithfully following Jesus and you're like, man, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm finding my love in Jesus and I'm loving others really well. My tone with others is just like the tone that Christ has with me. The second type of person is the person who says, man, I'm, I'm following Jesus, but there are so many other things that have happened in my life that it's difficult for me to, to rest in the love that I have in Jesus. Man, my kids are busy and this kid has, has problems, has issues, whatever they are. They're off the chain or they were born with a, a physical malady or my parent is sick or I know someone who just passed away. I'm dealing with sorrow, with grief. I'm dealing with depression. I might have no idea why. But when I consider my existence, existence, it all seems hopeless. Maybe you're there. You, you understand these concepts intellectually, but they are not ringing true in your heart. The third type of person is the person who says, man, I've never experienced this type of love that you were talking about. I've heard about it, I know about it, I've, I've been here before, I, I know about the good news of the gospel, but I want to know that love and to experience that love of Christ. Wherever you are this morning, which one of these people you are, can we spend a few moments reflecting on the love of Christ? Maybe as you think about the love of Christ, you're just like, man, thank you so much, and your prayer is that of thanksgiving. Maybe your prayer is that of, I want to live in the middle of that love and be reminded that Jesus Christ is my advocate. That's where I spend most of my life is right there. Maybe it's, man, I've, I've received this love and my capacity to receive the love of Jesus is this big, but my capacity to share that love with others is this big. That doesn't make sense. Repent of that selfishness of taking the love of Christ, but not passing it on. Or maybe you're here and you're just like, man, I want to hear that word mercy spoken over me for the very first time. Cry out to God. Confess your sin to him. Repent. Turn from the things that you're pursuing. Turn to Jesus Christ. Put your faith, your trust in him. Commit your life to him and he will be faithful. We've got folks standing up even now. We're gonna have four prayer stations. And you're like, man, I don't have anything specific in my life that I need prayer for. That's okay. If you just want someone to pray with you, to encourage you, you don't have to walk up to these people and give your whole life's biography. You can just walk up and say, please pray with me. And they'll do that. If you have something specific you want them to pray with you about, you can, you can ask them to pray with you about that. We are his brothers and his sisters. For just a few moments, whether at one of these stations that are around the room or there in your seat, let's spend time crying out to God asking his love to fill us and to be made manifest here among us as his people. Let's spend time now in his presence.